Mahoney put in the paper that he said it's under control. Uh, it's not under control. It's running rapid throughout the jails, and there's it's a lot of do with staff not taking proper precaution, going unit to unit, spreading this. In early December of 2020, some videos recorded from calls made by those in a Wisconsin jail relating their experience and condition with COVID-19 started to get passed around on social media. In the videos, men of various ages and races urgently share their names, health condition, and sometimes information about how the pandemic is being handled in their area of the jail, before handing off the headphones to another person to take their turn in front of the camera. The men appear jittery and anxious as they assist one another in the messaging they hope will reach a sympathetic audience on the outside. Uh, I'm David Lindsay. Um, I've been in here for 14 months. And um, they just recently said that I had COVID and it's in every dorm. The newspaper is lying. They saying that, well, not the newspaper, but uh, Mahoney is lying. He said um, no new cases, but all of us are sick in here. And they're not, the nurses are making it seem like they got it under control, but they really don't. Now that we are approaching a year of COVID-19 in America, our incarcerated population are being pushed to their limits even more. We want to share some of our connections to those incarcerated and returning citizens and the reality of their experiences here in Wisconsin. This is Eli Steenlidge. And I'm Anthony Cooper Singer, and you're about to hear some justified anger. This is the cry for help over, over um, that many of the men and women that were incarcerated have when they're talking with their families or when they're talking to advocates like myself and others. This is a, you know, it has to be another way. People have to be held to a different standard. This, this is just ridiculous. This is just, I don't know. Anthony Cooper shared his experience of watching these men in the video. Their desperation in a confined space is something he can clearly understand. Welcome. <clears throat> so, uh, Anthony, thank you for, for joining us on the podcast. I want you to tell me a little bit about when you saw the videos of the men talking about their experiences with coronavirus and the conditions there were like. Can you tell us about when you when you first watched that video? Oh man, um, you know, one someone had sent it to me uh, through Facebook, and then also someone gave me a, a call because they know I'm not on Facebook that often. And so once they it was like, man, you have to look at this video, and by just watching it and also knowing some of the men that were in that video. I was just like, these men are scared for their lives. They feel as though that it's a death sentence. They feel as though that where, you know, they don't know what to do. They don't know who to trust. And it's, it's, it's almost, it's almost, I would, I, it's almost really being able to say, this is a, this is, a, I mean, I'm here, I'm here on a nonviolent crime, but also I'm here also on a death sentence because they don't know what to do or, or they haven't decided what to do with my case. And they're still trying to figure things out. 
um, you, you know, and, and the, the, the fear, not only on these men's face, but the stuff that what you're hearing from, from their voice is that where it's either I'm going to die in here. And if so, I'm telling my family, I love them. Uh, um, but then also the, the conditions of the way how we don't know if they don't have us separated, they don't have us, they don't have us separated for, for, from men that who may have it or may not. People are not being tested. People don't have masks on. So basically no one gives a fuck about us. That, that was my initial reaction. Just like, you know, like what can we do in this situation where we have no control? We have no control over to be able to talk to the guards. We have no control really even to be able to reach out to the community. But, you know, at, the, at that point, someone did get some, you know, got some social media access. Um, the, the, the institutions definitely have to be, if you're not equipped to be able to keep these, I mean, if it is a violent crime or, 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 or whatnot, to keep someone safe while they're in there until it is time for them to, to go for trial or go in front of the, in front of the judge then that's a, that's a bigger issue. Then we need to figure something out, whether if it's testing, whether if it's being able to, um, and I'm not gonna sit up here and act like I have all the answers because I don't, but what I can say is that what is happening is not working right, right? It's not, it's not, it's, it's not we're, we're not keeping people safe inside of the prisons, nor are we keeping people safe outside of the prisons. Uh, I'm in here with a lot of people with non-serious cases or charges. Uh, the POs are, uh, uh, every, majority of everybody in here are on PO holds. Uh, I think the pre-trial pre-trial detention, uh, I think a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, the, the PO should have less control and authority and let, uh, uh, people, we let people free. We're in here trapped in an enclosed environment we can't social distance we're sleeping on top of each other there's just no possible way is it really truly about community safety right because these 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 men and I, I cannot leave the sisters out either these men and women that who are out that who are incarcerated we we have a responsibility to be able to keep them safe in the video of the men different men coming on camera and the microphone to kind of send messages to their family or share about what their experience was. One of them mentioned that they were sort of making a lot of noise and sort of acting up within that area because there was just no response from the guards or the administration where they were to what was going on. You know, they, they weren't getting information about health conditions or what they were doing to deal with coronavirus and so they were just simply trying to get get the guards attention so that they could get information so that someone would care this is not anything that that is new right you, you know yes the coronavirus is new um but at the same time for for men who men and women who have been incarcerated to be ignored that's not new. That's not, you, you, you know, the, the thing is, they looked at as less than. They look as less than a person, less than a human being. That's a problem. That's, that, that's a problem. And the more and more, because again, what's going to happen when the next outbreak happens? Or the next, uh, or the next, you know, to what you had just mentioned, when there's no, there's no running water that's inside of a, a, a prison. 
when there's no there's no heat that's inside of a prison or or or, or a county jail for that matter what's what's going to happen what's going to happen when, when, when there is a, another outbreak and then we're putting people side by side with other men and women who may potentially have it what are we doing to keep individuals safe who are incarcerated they their life does matter also just because it, it, I don't care who you are, and I, I, I say this quite often, there's no such thing as a perfect person. We've all faulted it and faulted wrong in, in one way or another, and whether if it was uh, through thought or in, in, in action. So what exactly are the issues with the conditions that incarcerated people are facing during the pandemic? Rebecca Barber breaks it down for us. So to sum up some of the problems that we've heard here, lack of staff, overworked staff, PTSD for staff, they're already working with a frustrated population. Lack of access to healthcare, and then they're being denied their medications because of the brand that they are. There's also been no aid for mental health concerns. Uh, some of the communications have been blocked as far as emails that they, people are trying to send out to let us know what the conditions are really like inside. They do try to express that and then they, they don't allow those to go through. Numbers reported are not matching what's going on inside. I know that Fox Lake had said we had three deaths, but they're not being reported as COVID. Officers are not actually using the proper PPE, even though the memo states that they should be. This also goes for when they're searching cells, not just regular interaction, but they go in, search everything, touch everyone's belongings, and then tell them to go back in to their cell, but will not provide them with bleach or anything to clean up what's, what's been touched. So lack of uh, proper HVAC ventilation and sanitary conditions, no set standards. Facilities are reporting that they're under different guidelines and they're choosing what and which guidelines they wanna follow. We aren't doing any better than any other states. We're at the top of the list for racial disparities, even without COVID. Wisconsin has one of the highest black male incarceration rates in the nation. You have community corrections individuals that have one foot in the community with no fencing and they can have recommendations to have sentence modifications and be removed. And that is an entirely facility that we could move elderly and the infirm. And right now, because we are so overcrowded, transfers are not the answer. We're just, we're just shuffling. We're just moving people into an already overcrowded facility. The uh, actual population right now is 20,423. And that is great that it did go down. However, the design capacity of our facilities is only 17,635. So if you take away COVID completely, we are still over capacity by 2,788 people. Not only are we talking about trying to reduce the population because of a pandemic, but we are over capacity for human rights, ethics, and dignity. My, my thing is the fact of what are what is it that we're going to start doing because obviously things have not been done yet to be able to change change this this change change the outcome of people feeling less than because that's not the the intention 
and, 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 and please correct me if I'm wrong. And I, uh, um, when you look at the Department of Corrections, when you look at our, our county jails, it is not it is not to 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 make a person feel less than. It's to be able to change the behavior. Changing the behavior does not always, um, uh, when you say corrections, right? It does not necessarily mean locking someone up. But that's not going to change the the, the um, change the behavior. Being able to allow them to, to self-reflect and be able to have a different understanding of who they are as a, as a human being, that is changing the behavior. So what are we going to start doing to be able to do that? Again, what, has ha- what is happening, what has happened, it's easier to look at someone who you look at as less than and to ignore them and to not to be able to give them um, the appropriate attention um, when they see that something is wrong, because it could be things that they see because you're not behind that wall. You're not behind that door, uh, um, that metal door, like like how they are. You you only you, you may do a round or, or things of that nature. What can we start doing to let that person know, let those individuals know that their life matters? Anthony Cooper is talking about what the correctional institution was meant for and the gap in what it is actually doing for those that spend time behind their walls. The purpose of the correctional system is a big topic, but I wanted to ask Anthony how the system could miss the mark in such a big way with a pandemic in caring for its inmates. So there's one thing when a person has committed a crime, right? They they commit a crime, they they go to prison, or they have what is we call the we, we call it the X on your back or have a felony, right? So and and in that, just that alone, that is in some sense supposed to mark you as being a person that who has been known for committing crimes, has been known for for whatever the the, the whatever uh, the, the case may be in that situation. Now. When someone is incarcerated behind bars that who are who are basically caged up a lot of times as though they're they're just pretty much they are pretty much riding the i mean some people may say this in a in a positive term, but I'm saying this in a negative term of right riding the gravy train pretty much you have to follow the pack to be able that means follow the pack you go to, you sit at this table you sit at this table you you go to this is your bunk. This is it. This is where you sit. This is where you sleep. This is where you shit. This is where you, 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 and so on and so forth. And then we open up the doors where, where when we want them to. There are people that who treat their dogs better than they treat human beings. So when we go back and we, we just think of that as just being the basic, right? And, and so then you go back to it. Now you're thinking of if I look, I don't value that person as being a person being a human being, right? So it makes it that much easier for me to be for me to be able to say, you know what? He's a, he or she is a roach, he or she is a rat, a mouse or something that I want to is a pest that I want to get rid of. So ask me that question again and thinking about all of that, right? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's kind of like all right. It's, it's it's easier for me to not pay attention to you when oh I'm ba- that person's banging on the door because they just saw this person get just get beat up whatever whatever the, the the case may be or he's or he's not feeling well and I see that something's not right but the guard or someone is not coming not coming fast enough because they just think hey that person's just doing something just to be doing it knowing this person could be passing out may have passed out on the floor. 
it's easier to put them into this box where, hey, he or she doesn't, doesn't matter. It's easier to do that than to actually talk and have some compassion with an individual that may have made some bad choices in their lives. So when, for me, the way I look at it is that that's, that's more of the bigger problem. There's no empathy to, to, to individuals that who have made bad choices, regardless man or woman. Right. So 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 if we don't have just the, 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 the passion to be able to treat that person as a human being, to be able to figure out a way, how can we get that person to to see the greatness in them? And, and honestly, because of if we're talking about correcting the behavior of individuals, that's where we that's what we need to be doing inside of the correction and inside of, inside of the prison. But also you have to have the right staff. You have the same mentality of 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 have been passed down generation after generation like those people ain't shit so what are currently incarcerated people actually saying about their quality of life and treatment rebecca barber again a few sentences that were written into me one person said my cell hall has not showered since last friday this is so unsanitary and nasty how can we keep ourselves clean when we are not permitted to shower regularly Another one said, it's a constant struggle to remain in good spirits when your predicament or living situation is being subjected to the things we face head on on a daily basis. Another says, uh, this is Wapan, it says, working 12 plus hours in the kitchen because of lack of staff, starting at 4 or 5 in the morning, ending at 5 or 6 p.m. And if you refuse, you get put in segregation. Sidestep note, United Nations determines that 22 hours in segregation without meaningful human contact is considered torture. Also anything over 15 days in solitary confinement is also considered torture, especially if there's no defined end date to that. Another person said showers and phones are every three days. Uh, Another person said staff is passing out and collecting the trays. Uh, There was one uh, facility also that staff was working with COVID. So if you imagine that a staff member that is infected with COVID is going to every cell, passing out and picking up the trays of their food that they're consuming, it's a concern. This person said that they were quarantined for surgery. Staff added a new person in who was exposed to COVID without checking the file the day before his surgery. He had to restart his quarantine and it took over two months before he could get his his surgery because of the quarantine and, and lack of checking files and where they're putting people. Um, there's another one that it addresses the uh, shutdown of a cell hall is potential talk at Wapan. So this gentleman says that, you know, they're shipping over 200 people out of the institution. Mind you, as I said with numbers earlier, that with how, how we are over capacity, there's only 120 openings. So even if you move 200 people, we're still over capacity. Transitioning and moving people around isn't the answer. We need them out. This person says that they're shipping people out and my brother is leaving. He said, I seriously feel as though I'm losing the one and only person who I have here at Wapan. He's been my friend for a long time. And trust me, friend is not a word I throw around too loosely. Of course, we'll keep in touch, but it's def- it definitely won't be the same without him. These are gentlemen that have spent 30 plus years together. Another one, I have two more. I was tested positive and was given mucinex and that was it. My heart was hurting and I felt like if I, w- I was straining 
for it to work properly. I am almost 40, so I thought it was a heart attack. The feelings would occur late at night, so I would have to self-soothe, but now I'm having problems sleeping at night. As far as my contact with the outside world, I have lost most of it. I am currently serving life without parole or extended supervision. I don't have any blood relatives in here, and that means I'm pretty much going through this on my own. I don't think my story is unique, but it still needs to be heard. God bless. Another person says, we are spending 23 hours in our cell with one hour out every day. And one last one I do want to touch on. This one, just to reiterate, I know a lot of people think of the COVID system in the prisons as uh, you do the crime, you do the time type of thing. And I just, it's really important that I read this last message. It says, I was given a 16-year sentence for taking undercover agents to buy $2,300 worth of cocaine. I am in no way making the statement with intention of minimizing my wrongdoing. I make this statement hoping to bring awareness of the fact that sentencing guidelines urgently need to be put in place. I was also denied an ERP program and denied the drug program. This is my first time in prison, 16 years. I have taken many classes, programs, and groups that the Department of Corrections has, and I've taken so many, they won't let me sign up for anything else. I've graduated from two technical colleges with three diplomas, 3.09 GPA, and most recently, this time last year, a 4.0 from Madison College, where I was able to shake Kevin Carr's hand. I've completed a semester towards my associate's degree in liberal arts on the Dean's List for Academic Excellence. I worked my way to a work release center, and I'm now in community custody. I suffer from three different respiratory issues that put me at high risk. I clawed my way through an extremely harsh sentence in which I suffered traumatic losses such as the death of both of my parents, only to find myself still serving a heinous sentence and now staring down the barrel of a possible death sentence. I definitely don't deserve the mental anguish of sitting in the cell wondering every day if I'm going to die in prison for two ounces of cocaine that wasn't even mine. I've already served almost eight years. Please help. You may have seen this sentiment about COVID being a death sentence stated a lot recently, but it can be confusing for those without a personal connection to someone incarcerated. I asked Anthony to explain more. Think of it like this. Your son or daughter, loved one, whoever, goes to jail. You just found out that the pot that your loved one was in, everyone in there was COVID positive. What is the, what is the feeling that you would have knowing that this person may come, may or may not come home if he's not being treated fast enough? If he's not, and, and, then, and then your son, daughter, uncle, brother, uh, uh, nephew, whomever, friend, colleague, tells you, I have not been seen by a doctor yet, but I know that there, there, there are people in here that who have COVID and who are sick right now, who are coughing, who are not, who are, who are not feeling well, who are, you, you know, and, and agitated all at the same time because there's no, there's, there's no help. There's no, you know, this is the way how they're separating us, putting us in this pod. How would you feel Say, even if they made it through and they asked you to come and pick them up, day one. And then and now they're in the car with you coughing, 
saying that they're not feeling well. And then, and and how how would how would you actually, how would you feel? Would you go and get tested right away? Would you ask that person to get out of your car? Or do you now at this point do you just feel you're you're exposed, and the possibility of you passing is high? That's I mean that's that's the way I, I, how I would explain that to them, because there's no because you don't know how far and what and this is this isn't anything that we can see. But yet it can also destroy not only you it has destroyed families. Whole bloodlines of someone that's in that's living in the same house. Those are problems. We have to bring humanity to the situation that is, that that to be able to approach and have conversations with men and women that who are incarcerated. If you do not know how to, and I, I'll simplify. If you do not know how to talk to folks in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an appropriate way of being able to to just say, you, you know, hey, you know, is, how are you doing? What's going on with your family? If there's some other things that well, what's going on with them, and if you're not able to to address those things, then that's a problem. Because no one's asking a person to be a social worker, and so I'm not trying to add other duties to staff. But what I am adding is, as far as uh, is that shouldn't be a duty. That should be uh, a common practice of just treating people as though they are people. That's that's what needs to happen. And and as I know from being a per- a man that who was incarcerated, and as I know of of talking to to men that who are incarcerated, um, that is not happening. Um, and a, a lot of it is based on skin color. A lot of a lot of it is based on, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, a lot of it is based on um, religion. Uh, um, a lot of it, it, you know, these are these are things that, again, if we do not make it a common practice of of treating people fairly, then we're we're going to continue to fail. And the and the individuals that may come when they do come home, some of them may eventually go back to go back to what they know because of they felt as though there there was nothing there was nothing that that got them to look outside the box there's nothing that really truly corrected the behavior there's nothing that truly gave them a correction and thought process and of course it's always their choice which just like for many of us it's always our choice to whether we do something right or wrong Thank you for listening to the Justified Anger podcast. Justified Anger is an initiative of Nehemiah. This podcast was made with the cooperation and collaboration of Rebecca Barber, Anthony Cooper, Aaron Hicks, Shannon Ross, Jeremy Holliday, Dr. Karen Reese, and Sharla Miller. A special thank you to the individuals that shared their stories and experiences of incarceration. Some individuals' names are not included to protect their identity. Theme music by Rudy Bankston. Production and editing is by Eli Steenlich.